Many of you in this room probably grew up in the churches of Christ. And I want you to reflect upon just a moment how many times you have heard sermons on worship. Maybe you have heard sermons on worship and how that it is the Lord's Day and how that the reason we come together on the Lord's Day is because it's the first day of the week. That's when they came together to break bread, Acts 20 and verse 7. It's the day in which they came together to give of their means, 1 Corinthians 16 and verse number 1 and 2. It's the day in which the first day of Pentecost, or the day of Pentecost happened and the first worship assembly under the New Testament uh, church, Acts chapter 2. And it was the day in which the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ uh, was resurrected, Acts chapter 1, or excuse me, Revelation chapter 1 and verse number 5. But in those sermons that you've heard about worship, I want you to focus in on the idea of singing. How many sermons have you heard in your lifetime relating with the idea of mechanical instruments of music in worship? I have preached those sermons and I, I, I believe the biblical view of Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 19. There where it says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. We, we must do uh, those things that God has told us in the Word. Whatever we do in word and deed, do all in the name of the Father. Uh, Colossians 1 and verse number 17. If you look at the verse right before it, Colossians 3 and verse 16, what does it tell us to do? If we, if we're to do all things in the, in the, in the name of the Lord, by His authority, what, what does that command us to do? We must what? Sing. We have no authority to add to or take away from God's Word. Revelation 22, 18 and 19. Proverbs 30 and verse 6. Deuteronomy 4 and verse number 2. And therefore, since we cannot add to and take away from God's Word, what is the biblical role for music in the church? It is singing. And we have done that this morning. But if we look at John 4, verse number 24, there where Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman and He is talking about the idea of worship. There in verse number 23, He talks about how that God seeks out true worshipers. And He talks about in verse 24, His identity. God is a spirit. He is not a, a human being. He is a spirit. And then He talks the idea of the proper view of worship. God is a spirit and they that worship Him, and then look at that little word, must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So when we look at the idea of must, this is not a suggestion. It is not something that we can do part of the time. It is something that we must do all the time. So we went, when we look at worship, there are two important aspects that we must do. We must worship God in spirit and in truth. And I'm, I'm scared to say, brethren, that too many times we, as members of the Lord's church, focus so much on truth, which we should. We should focus on truth. God's word is truth. John 17. In verse 17. But I want you to notice that coordinating conjunction there. And. We must worship God in spirit. We're going to focus on that just for a minute today. And in truth. Friends, we have to make sure that we have both of them in proper balance. When we come together in the worship assembly to God. We must worship God in spirit. What does that mean? What does it mean to worship God in spirit? It means to, to have our attitudes right. I, can, I cannot come into the worship assembly thinking about you know what, what kind of good meal I'm going to be able to have once I get out of here. Oh, I, I'm thinking about all the different laundry list of things that I got to get done on Sunday because tomorrow morning I got to wake up and go to work and I, and I just have a few hours that I have to be able to sit down and to be able to get these things done. Friends, that's not the proper view that we should have towards worship. The idea of worshiping God in spirit is I am focused in, I, I am... I am here for a common purpose 
And that is to give my attention, to give my awe, to give my reverence towards the high and most high Jehovah God. So when we look at this idea of we must worship God in spirit and in truth, that means we got to do it with a proper attitude and with a proper authority. There's your two ways from John 4, 24. We got to worship with a proper attitude, that spirit, and the proper authority, which is truth. We got to have them in balance. And the message I want to focus in on this morning is this. How many times do we sit down and sing the song, but, but our minds go wandering? Now, I'm speaking from personal experience here. It's easy to do, right? It's just easy to come in here and, and grab a songbook and just go through the motions of singing, partaking the Lord's Supper, listening to the sermon, and you just kind of get in that, 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 that routine. But friends, when we come in here, we got to make sure we do it with a proper attitude and proper authority. I want us to begin this morning talking about this idea of worshiping God in, in spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 because here it, it, it entails the idea of singing. It entails the idea of making sure that we're singing with the proper attitude, the proper spirit. John or 1 Corinthians 14 and verse number 15. Notice, notice here what Paul says. He says, what is the conclusion then? I will pray with what? The spirit. And I will also pray with the understanding. Notice this last part. I will sing with the... Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding. Friends, when we sing to God, when we come together as a collective congregation and we're led in songs, we need to make sure that we understand the words in which we sing to these songs. If I cannot sing a song that is spiritually scriptural, meaning that the words to the song are words that the Bible does not teach, and there are songs in the songbook that sadly do not teach the simple gospel plan of salvation. They teach a man-made doctrine such as faith only. And we should not sing those songs because they are not singing in truth. And I'm not going to sing those songs because I'm not going to teach. Remember, when we sing, we teach Ephesians 5 and verse 19. And I'm not going to sing something that's teaching something false. But we need to make sure that we also sing with the understanding. Meaning, when I sing... The words of certain songs, I need to understand them. I need to make sure that when I when I focus in and I'm looking at these lyrics, that I'm focusing in on what they mean. And I want to focus in on one particular song this morning that this song may be not very popular to many of you. It might be a song you've never even heard before. It might be a song that, that you might have heard at, at Bible camp or or, um, or youth rallies or something like that. It's more of a, a camp type song or a youth type song. But the title is Pierce My Ear. Now, I'm going to read the words of these, the first stanza of the lyrics to you just so you can see the idea of, of this song. Here, here goes the lyrics. It says, Pierce my ear, O Lord my God. Take me to your door this day. Now, if I stopped right there, you probably would be like, what in the world does he mean by pierce my ear? Right? I mean, if I, if I just stop right there and says, what does this song mean? Friends, I can't sing that song unless I understand what it means, 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 15. But the, the writer of this song goes on to, to clarify that. He says, I will serve no other gods. Lord, I am here to say, for you paid the price for, for me. With your blood you ransomed me. And I will serve you eternally. A free man I will never be. What does the words of those songs mean? What does it mean when, when the songwriter wrote these lyrics? What does it mean to pierce my 
here. Go with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 21. Who, I, I didn't write down who wrote the name, the words of these songs, but this song, but whoever was the one who enlightened them that, that sat down and wrote the lyrics of Pierce My Ear got it from a biblical context. It comes from Exodus chapter 21 verses 1 through 6. And I want us to look at this text and relate it to the song and notice three points that we can learn as we sing this song, as we, as we can sing with the understanding and, and, and make it an application to our lives today. Look at, we're going to read this text, Exodus chapter 21, verses 1 down through verse number 6. He says, Now these are the judgments which you, you shall set before them. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve you six years, and in the seventh month he shall go out free and pay nothing. For if he comes in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he comes in married, then he and his wife, uh, then his wife shall go with him. Verse 4, if his master has given him a wife and he has born sons or daughters, the wife and the children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring bring him to the judges, and he shall bring him to the door or to the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awe, and he shall serve him forever. So as we look at Exodus chapter number 21, verses 1 through 6, you can definitely see the idea of pierce my ear. You can see the idea of where he gets the idea of pierce my ear, O Lord my God, take me to your door this day. The idea of verse number 6, I will serve no other gods, verse 6. Lord, I am here to stay. Again, verse number 6, you have paid the price for me. Talking about Jesus, you have ransomed me. I will serve you eternally, a free man. I'll never be. I want us to notice three points from this text and from this song that that we can relate to our lives. Because when we sing this song, Pierce My Ear, it's something that we need to make sure that we're doing in our lives. Number one is this. God gave us the decision to be His servants. God gave us the decision... To be his servants. If you look back at the text, looking at verse number two, it, it talks about the context and the and the the culture during this time. He says, "If you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve him six years. In the seventh month, he shall go out free, paying nothing. So he comes in, he serves his six years. He, he has the choice. What? Hey, I can go and be free. But go down to verse number five. But if the servant says, "I love my master, I love my wife, and my children." I will not go out free. So after six years of serving, this Hebrew servant has a choice. He has a big choice to make. He can either go be a free person, he can go out into the the land and be a free person, or he can stay with his master and serve him forever. But the choice was his. The choice was up to him. And I think the important part that we see here is God has given us a choice. He gave the Hebrew servant a choice during Exodus chapter 21. But us today, we have a choice. You know, I want you to think about just in a day's time, how many choices you make. I mean, just today, you've probably already made five or six choices. You made the choice to get up. You made the choice of what to eat for breakfast. You made the choice of coming to worship. You made the choice of what you were going to wear. You're going to make a choice of where you're going to eat lunch. You have so many choices throughout the day. But friends, we need to make sure that we choose God. Go with me to Matthew chapter 6. 
Here in Matthew chapter 6, of course, this is the Sermon on the Mount. And this is a very popular text that we go to to talk about teaching and talk about um, the different things. But I want us to spend some time here in Matthew 6 and Matthew chapter 7 looking at the idea of the different choices that we have in life. We, we have a, a vast majority of different choices that we can choose and we need to make sure that we choose God. Because remember what Joshua said in Joshua chapter 24 and verse number 15? For me and my house... We will what? Choose to serve the Lord. So we need to make sure that we choose God. We need to make sure that we choose the life that is less traveled. We're going to talk more about that here in a second. But looking at Matthew chapter 6, go down to verse number 24. And before we read this verse, I want you to understand, we're going to serve somebody. We have the choice of serving something, somebody, or serving God. Because, friends, if you think about it, there's many people here today that have made the choice... To serve sports. They've made that choice. They've said, hey, my sports career, my, my children's career in sports is more important than coming to church. They've made that choice. And they are serving sports. There's people that have chose the idea of being lazy over coming to worship because they, they, they're in good health. They, they, they're, they, they could easily uh, go to work tomorrow, but they've chose to not come together and worship with the saints today. They've chose that. So when we read Matthew chapter 26 and verse 24, remember this, you are going to serve somebody. It's either going to be God or it's going to be the world. So look at Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 24. He says, no one can serve two masters. Like I said, you're going to serve somebody, but you can't serve both God and the world. You're going to choose, you're going to have to choose one. For he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and man. You might be thinking, well, you know, I, you know, I can do that. I can, I can have one foot in the world and I can have one foot in the church. You know what that many times is called? It's called straddling the fence. And you know who owns the fence? The old devil. The old devil owns the fence. And friends, we're going to have to make a choice. We're going to have to make a choice to say either, hey, I'm going to put God first in my life and I'm going to serve Him, or I'm going to choose to serve the world. Go over with me to Matthew chapter 7, looking at another choice that we have in this life. Look at verse 13. He says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many that go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life. And there be that few that find it. Here again, we're, we're, we come to a fork in the road. And that's kind of how I picture this verse anyways. You're, you're going down the road and you come to a fork. You either got to go right or you got to go left. you got two paths. The choice is yours. Which one are you going to go down? Are you going to go down the one that's down with many? The one that's easy, the one that most people are going down, is one that we can just easily fit into the crowd and easily go along with. The idea of compromising and the idea of, of just going along to get along. Or are we going to choose the life that, that goes to God? The, the life that there are few on. The life that is difficult. The idea that, that there's going to be persecution involved. Are we going to choose that way? Which fork, in the which way are you going to go? Are you going to choose the world? Or are you going to choose... God. Look at verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come into the sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Here we have the idea of another fork in the road. We can serve the teachings of men, or we can serve the teachings of Christ. Go down to verse number 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter in the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father that is in heaven. Many will say in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And Cast out demons in your name and done many wonderful works in your name. 
And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that worketh lawlessness. Here again we come to another decision, another choice that we have to make in this life. Here we see people that call upon the name of the Lord that does many wonderful works. But guess what their, their path is leading to? Their choice has led them to. It leads them to destruction. Because they, served, they chose the idea of, of being, led, being led away by false teachers and false prophets. You have the idea of building your house on solid ground, verses 24 through verse number 27. The idea there of, of you got two different kinds of soil, right? You got the rocky soil and, and you got the, or excuse me, you got the uh, grounded rock, the wise man who built his house upon the rock, and you got the sandy person who built his house upon the sand. And what happened? Rains came, floods, sin, and what? Great was its fall upon the sand. Where are you going to build your foundation? You have that choice. You have the choice to make sure that Christ is your cornerstone. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 11. To make sure you're upon that solid rock. Or you have the choice to be upon the sandy soil. And it's going to collapse. Go with me now to Romans chapter 6. We looked at a few choices that we have to make there. But look at Romans chapter 6. We're, we're going to get down to another two choices and kind of narrow it in down here. Remember, you're going to serve somebody. You're going to be a master to somebody. You're going to be a slave to somebody. And that's what we're going to see here in Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 15. We're, we're going to come back to Romans chapter 6 in a later point. But I want you to focus in now on the, decide, the, 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 the decision. The idea of, hey, you're going to have to decide who you're going to serve. Look at verse 15 of, of Romans chapter 6. It says, what then? Shall we, we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Certainly not. Can, can we go about, can we go about and sin because we're covered by grace? Can we go live the way we want to because God's grace is there? And what does he say? Absolutely not. Certainly not. Don't take advantage of God's grace. Verse 16. Do you not know, notice this, whom you present yourselves slaves to obey? Who you choose to serve is going to be the one in which you are enslaved to. You are not, continuing there in verse 16, you are not, uh, you are the, that one slave whom you obey, whether it be sin leading to death or obedience, what? Leading to righteousness. You got a choice. What choice, what path are you going to go down? Look at verse 17, but God be thanked that though you were the slaves of sin, everybody in this room at some point in their lives we're going down the wrong path. We were the slaves of sin. We were serving Satan. But what does he say? Yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine that you were that that form of doctrine which you were delivered. You have been set free. Verse eighteen. And having been set free from sin, you became the slaves of righteousness. I speak of human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For as you presented your members of slaves of uncleanness and lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. And so now more presenting your members as slaves of righteousness, of holiness. Notice there, the idea of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. The idea if you choose sin, it's going to lead sin unto sin. Sin unto sin. You ever hold, heard the phrase that sin took me further than I wanted to go, took me longer than I wanted to stay, and made me pay more than I wanted to pay? That's, that's sin unto sin. Lawlessness unto lawlessness. And we make those choices... We go down the wrong path. I mean, you think about people that begin drinking. 
and their drinking begins to lead them to drugs. And their drugs begin to lead them to harder drugs. And they get further and further away from God. Make sure that your choices point to God. Conclude. Let's, 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 go, let's move on to our next point. So I, I think you understand the idea. When we look at the song, Pierce My Ear, this servant had a choice. This slave had a choice. He was either, number one, going to obey God. He was going to obey his master. Or he was going to go back into the world. We had that same choice today. We had that same decision. But, but let's look at our second point. Go back with me to Exodus chapter 21. We're going to be going back there for all of our main points this morning. Look at Exodus chapter 21 and look at verse number 6. He says, Then his master shall bring him to the judges, and he shall bring him to the door, or toward the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awe. And this is the phrase I want to focus in on. And he shall serve him forever. Number one, this person, this slave had the decision to make. But number two, it requires determination. It requires dedication. When, when this slave was brought to this doorpost and they, and they punched that, that nail into his ear, that meant, hey, I'm going to serve you, not just for another seven years, not just for another couple months, but for the idea of forever. The idea of, hey, I am here to serve you forever. Go back with me to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. We, we looked at the last part of Romans chapter 6, and I told you we were going to come back here. This is us going back to Romans chapter 6. But I want us to look at the first four verses. Because this shows the idea of dedication, the idea of determination. Hey, when I become a New Testament Christian, it's not just for a few months. It's not just for on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights and maybe just a few activities here and there. It is a decision that we make that is in for the long haul. It is something that, hey, I'm putting away this old man and I'm living a new life for Christ. Look at verse number 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? We've already looked at that. Going back to verse number 15 of this same chapter, verse 2. He says, certainly not. How shall we who die to sin live in it any longer? What is he saying there? He's saying, once you die to self, you have a dedication. You have to be determined to serve God. You can't go back to that old man. Look at verse 3. Notice how he illustrates this. Or do you not know as many of us that were baptized into his death were baptized? We're baptized, or excuse me, baptized into Jesus Christ. We're baptized into His death. Therefore, we are buried with Him in baptism into death. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. What does He mean here? When I become a New Testament Christian, I die to self. I bury my old body in that watery grave to have my sins washed away, Acts 2 verse 38, and I raised up to walk in newness of life. And friends, once I bury that old man, I don't go back to that old man. That's called repentance. And that means I am dedicated to the cause of Christ. A Christian walk is something we have to do. It's something we have to be fully committed to. When we go to the watery grave of baptisms, that means I am ready to fully commit my life to God and making choices and decisions in His ways. Baptism is not the end. Many times we, we believe, you know, somebody is baptized, but friends, it's a means 
to an end. It's a means to that old man being put away, burying him, and living to walk in newness of life. The determined and dedication of a slave shows their love towards their master. There in verse number 5, and going back to Exodus chapter 21, he says, if the servant says what? If they plainly say, I love my master. If they say that, what does that mean? That means they love them. They want to serve them. They are showing dedication to them. God showed His love towards us and that while we were all sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter 8. But the question is, how do I show my love towards God? How how is it that I can show my dedication? How is it that I can show my determination to God? If you love me, keep my commandments. John 14 and verse number 15. So when we look at this idea of pierce my ear, what does it mean? It means, hey, I am fully committed to God. I am going to do whatever it takes in this life to live my life for Him. I have to, number one, be determined, but I have to also be dedicated. When I come up out of that watery grave of baptism, I'm a new person. And you know what? New Christians, new people do new things. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Behold, all things that become new, and we need to become new in Christ. But we also have to be determined. The Christian life is not the easiest life. The Christian life is not just something to do, but something that's difficult. Go back to Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. There where there's going to be a few people on it. It's going to be a difficult way. And because of that, I have to be determined. I've got to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 2. Now I need to be faithful unto death. Let's look at a few verses about that. Many times we look at Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 10 and it says what? Be thou faithful unto death. Friends, if we we can sing the song, pierce my ear, that means, hey, I'm going to be faithful unto death. I'm going to do whatever it takes, no matter what persecution arises. If you look at the context of Revelation chapter 2 and you get down to verse number 10, that's the last part. The context is what? Persecution. It's going to arise. i got to be determined to keep my eyes fixed. Upon Jesus. Notice what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10. Go over, go over there with me. I want you to notice these simple words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 10 and look at verse number 22. Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 22. There Jesus said, and you shall be hated by all men for my sake. But this is the key I want you to focus on it, in on. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. You gotta endure. You got to push on and keep on because you love God, because you love Jesus, and you made that choice to be committed to Him forever. Go with me to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 makes this this picture clear for us. Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse number 23. Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 23. He says, And then He said to them all, If anyone desires to come after Me, Notice this, if you want to be a follower of Jesus and you want to follow Him the rest of your life, notice this. Let Him deny Himself, take up His cross, circle this key word daily and follow Me. I've already emphasized this point. Christian walk is not just something I do on Sundays. 
but it's something I have to be committed to and dedicated to every day of my life. I gotta be focused. I gotta be determined to finish the Christian race. First Corinthians chapter nine, twenty seven and following. So number one, we looked at this idea that this Hebrew servant has the choice. They have the decision to make. They're either going to serve their master or they're going to go into the world. Number two, we looked at the idea that they have to be determined. It's a lifelong commitment if they go and get their ear pierced. For a Christian, it's a lifelong commitment. It's a lifelong point of dedication. But number three is the distinguishing marks of the servant. The distinguishing mark of a servant. I want you to pretend that you are living during the time of Exodus. Exodus chapter number 21. And you're walking around town and you see a person walking around with a big old ear in their ear. A big old hole in there. What do you think that means to you during that time period? That represents something, right? That represents that that, ma- that, that servant belongs to some master till he dies. That's a distinguishing mark in that person's life, right? That separates him from other servants because he is fully committed to his to his master. What about us? What about us? We as Christians should have distinguishing marks in our lives. When people see us walking around, what do they see? Do they see just a normal person that is just fitting in the crowd or do they see somebody that's dif- different? They see somebody that's maybe peculiar because First Peter chapter two and verse number nine. What are we? What are we to be? We are to be, be a peculiar people, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Go with me to Romans chapter twelve very quickly. Romans chapter twelve, and let's look at verses one and two. Romans twelve verses one and two. He says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of, of God, that you present your bodies. Here, here in the Old Testament, Exodus 21, they had their bodies, and it was specifically their ear that was pierced. That was their bodies that represented. We as Christians are to be represent our bodies, what? A living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable servant. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. But be ye what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What do we see here? We see the idea, hey, our, we should use our bodies to God's, to God's glory and they should be different from the world. First Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 20, For you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Also, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 17. From, the, from now on, let no one be troubled, for I bear, notice this, in my body the marks, the distinguishing marks of who? Of our Lord Christ Jesus. I want to give you four points as we close this lesson of some distinguishing marks that we can have in our lives that when we go out into the world, we can be different. We are to be different as Christians. We're, we're called to be peculiar people. Number one, by our speech. By our speech. You know, I, I walk the hallways of the high school. I coach football. I, I'm in the locker room. And what, you know what I hear? I hear a bunch of filthy language. 
you can have a distinguishing mark by using your body and using your mouth particularly for talking about good. For not letting corrupt communication proceed from your mouth as we are commanded to do in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 29. We are not to use the Lord's name in vain. We're not to speak ugly things. And we can use that to God's glory and have a distinguishing mark in our lives. Number two, we can have a distinguishing mark by how we spend our time. You know, where I spend my time is what? Shows where I have passions, where I have love, where I have that desire. You know, if I love fishing, you know what I'm going to go do? I'm going to go fish. If I love to hunt, I'm going to go hunt. If I love to play golf, I'm going to go play golf. If I love to go play baseball, I'm going to be at the baseball field. If I love to play basketball, I'm going to be at the basketball court. But if I love God, where am I going to be on Sunday mornings? I'm going to be right here. Because it shows my dedication. It shows where I love to spend time. Where am I going to be when the church meets? I'm going to be here. Another distinguishing mark is our money. We could go back to Matthew chapter 6, looking at verse number 19 and verse number 20. There where Jesus says, don't, don't lay up your treasures on, on earth where rot, rust and thieves break in and steal, where moss can corrupt. But where does he say to lay up our treasures? Lay up your treasures in heaven. Where those things can't destroy, where those things can't be influenced by it and hurt by it. But friends, where we spend our money shows a lot about us. And we need to make sure that we have our distinguishing mark about us as a servant. And also we can talk about the way we dress. First Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 9 talks about, about modesty and how that we should dress modest. And, um, and we can have that distinguishing characteristic of our lives. We could, we could also talk about the attitude we should have of a humble servant. Right? We're, this whole idea is pierce my ears, talking about a servant. We need to have a servant's heart, meaning what? We're going to put our other's needs above our needs. And that's a great distinguishing mark because we live in a society today that is so self-centered, that, that worries about themselves more than anybody else. But friends, we need to put others' needs above our needs. You look at Philippians chapter 2 there where it talks about the mind of Christ. And it talks about Jesus. It talks about let this mind be in you which is also in Christ Jesus. And let's, let's, let's have that mind as we go out so we can have that distinguishing mark of a true servant of Jesus. Exodus 21, pierce my ear. Number one, they had the decision to make. They had that choice. Number two, once they made that choice, it represented a life full of dedication to their servant. And number three, that, that mark in their ear represented a distinguished mark, representing they were serving their master forever. For us today, we have the choice. Have you made that choice this morning? Have you made the choice to become a Christian? You become a Christian this morning by dying to sin, confessing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, repenting of your sins, and being buried in that water of grave baptism. And that is the means to that old life. And you live a life anew. Because your sins are washed away and you're saved. First Peter 3 and verse 21. Have you made that choice? Have you made that decision? Have you been fully committed? Have you been fully committed? Have you been determined to finish your race? Maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know what, I've fallen away. I've got sin in my life, and I need, I need to confess that fall. Go to Acts chapter 8. What, did, what, did, what was Simon told to do? Repent and pray, and this wickedness will be forgiven from you. Have you, been, have you been finishing your race? Have you been keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus? And number three, have you been wearing the distinguishing marks of a true servant of Jesus? Have you been living your life as a Christian? Maybe you're here this morning, we can help you. If we can help you in any way, please come now. Together we stand and as we sing.